You are listening to Living with ADHD and CPTSD, available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Living with ADHD and CPTSD. Today we are discussing CPTSD and this episode we are going to focus on dissociation. Dissociation occurs when the psychological processes that are typically connected or whole become fractured. A person could experience disturbances in their thoughts, memories, or identity. They may also feel removed from the world around them. When dissociation becomes severe enough, it may require treatment from a mental health professional. All right, so let's try and put this in a very plain, you know, frank way for everybody listening today. For those who haven't really done any therapy yet with their psychologist or psychiatrist, this is something that people tend to do and I have done when the idea of being traumatized or the feeling that you're overwhelmed because of trauma and having a flashback is so much that your mind knowingly or unknowingly decides to basically zone out and like basically just not be active. So a lot of times dissociation can occur a few examples are like watching your favorite TV show, listening to music, reading a book, or just staring off blankly into space, not really thinking or feeling anything. So that's a, those are a few examples of dissociation. What is dissociation? Okay, dissociation is a state of psychological disruption. An individual might have a split in their consciousness their perceptions, and so on. Dissociation resembles psychosis in that it involves a detachment from reality. However, people who are dissociating are often aware of their detachment, while people having psychotic episodes may not similarly be aware. About one-third of Americans report occasional episodes of mild dissociation. This state is often described as watching oneself as if in a movie. It involves behaviors such as daydreaming or becoming removed from thought while driving. Mild dissociation seems to occur more frequently before the age of 20. Dissociation can become an issue when it works as a long-term defense mechanism. Someone may dissociate in an unconscious effort to protect themselves from overwhelming stress. Severe cases may lead to a person to develop alternate identities or amnesia, When dissociative behavior becomes unavoidable, it may qualify as a mental health diagnosis. Types of dissociation. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM, currently recognizes the following five dissociative diagnoses. Dissociative Identity Disorder, DID, involves the presence of two or more distinct personalities. 
These personalities may have different ages, mannerisms, and levels of awareness. People with DID often have reoccurring gaps in their memory from when other personalities switched in. DID can cause significant impairment to daily functioning. 2. Depersonalization, derealization are combined into one diagnosis. They are characterized by feelings of detachment from reality. Depersonalization typically describes attachment from or unfamiliarity with the self. A person may feel that their body is unreal. Depersonalization may include physical or emotional numbness. Derealization describes a detachment from or unfamiliarity with the surrounding world. It may be accompanied by visual auditory distortions. Objects may seem dreamlike or lifeless. However, people with con this condition are typically aware that their experiences are not reality. 3. Dissociative amnesia is a type of memory loss. It can take three forms. Localized, where events from a particular period of time cannot be recalled. This is the most common type. Selective, where one can remember certain events from a particular time, but not others. And generalized, where one cannot recall any memories from their entire life history. This type is rare. Four and five, other specified and unspecified dissociation, are used when dissociative symptoms cause significant impairment and distress in daily function, but they do not meet the criteria for any specific dissociative condition. Other specifies is used when a reason is given for the criteria not being met and unspecified to describe a case when the reason is not given. Dissociative fugue or fugue is not listed in the DSM, but can be a symptom of other diagnosis. Dissociative fugue is a period of impulsive behavior often not remembered later. A person may travel, speak, or carry out tasks as if in a trance or dream. Dissociative fugues are especially common among people with dissociative identity issues. Warning signs. It is possible to have dissociation and not know it. If you have a dissociative disorder, for example, you may keep your symptoms hidden or explain them another way. Common signs you or a loved one should watch out for include rapid mood swings, trouble remembering personal details, forgetfulness about things you've said or done, behavior or abilities that change, altered identities, depression, anxiety, or panic attacks, thoughts of suicide or self-harm, substance abuse, failed treatments, or hospitalizations for mood disorders. And children with dissociation disorder may seem spacey, stare out the window a lot, have imaginary friends, forget they've said or done something, and have ADHD or other learning disabilities. What causes dissociation? Well, quite frankly, dissociation is often connected to trauma. A person may dissociate during a traumatic incident as a way of dealing with terror or rage. Physical dissociation, having an out-of-body experience, may be a way to reduce awareness of physical injury or pain. Individuals who dissociate during the trauma are more likely to develop post-traumatic stress, PTSD, later. Research suggests that the in-the-moment dissociation interferes with memory and coding. The memories may become compartmentalized, later manifesting as flashbacks. 
Severe dissociation is often a sign of past abuse. Child abuse in particular seems to play a role in the development of dissociative behavior. Since a child has limited power, cutting themselves off from their reality is often their only method of escaping the pain. As an adult, the person may continue to dissociate in the face of stress, even when the behavior is no longer helpful. Dissociation has also been linked to anxiety, panic attacks, obsessions and compulsions, OCD, borderline personality. A brain-related illness or injury can also cause dissociative symptoms. Alcohol and drug use may cause temporary episodes of situational dissociation. Research has also connected dissociative issues to differences in certain brain regions. The regions are responsible for emotion processing, memory, filtering, sensory input, awareness of one's own body, and other functions. It is unclear whether dissociation causes the brain to change or if, it alt- or if alterations in these brain regions make a person more likely to dissociate. Effects of dissociation. Severe forms of dissociation can be persistent and intense. Dissociation can make it difficult to complete daily tasks and care for oneself. It can also interfere with one's ability to maintain a healthy relationship or keep their job. A person having a dissociative episode may completely be completely unaware of what is happening, or they may have may only have a numb or detached awareness of the situation. A dissociative episode may be completely forgotten when it is over, which can cause confusion when a person starts, stops associating. If a person remembers the event later, they may experience extreme embarrassment or shame around their actions. So, let's. I'm just going to talk about a few personal experiences that I've had with uh, dissociating. A lot of times when I have become triggered, um, you know, something occurs like a flashback or an outside event that I'm watching or doing or suddenly get involved in occurs I start to like instead of dealing with the trigger and the trauma like you know like doing your processing and updating the parts and trying to do the work that your therapy is is there for I am like blanked out I don't I'm not remembering things I am unaware of things that are occurring in front of me like uh, cats jumping on me or running around uh, running by my dog getting in you know doing his like barking at me or coming up and and looking for some affection from me and I don't necessarily notice it and a lot of times if i am zoning out or dissociating i of course like this happens a lot when i'm watching a movie if i've had a rough day or i'm really tired and a lot of things are going on and today i'm not really aware of it because of the fact that i'm still relatively new with cptsd it will occur without truly being aware at all so I'll start, or I'll be watching the movie and I'll be so into it that like if my girlfriend is there watching it with me, I won't notice any sort of 
like behavior from her like she could be laughing or making comments about the show um and then expecting a response back from me you know like a oh yeah that's cool or yeah that looks bad it is funny uh, or saying something in relation to the show that we're watching if i'm not doing anything like that and i'm quiet or maybe making like very automated result responses like yeah or okay or i see you know like stuff that just has no emotional back backing to it feels very distant then she's explained to me or has you know stated in her opinion that i am dissociating or i'm zoning out as it's a as another popular way of putting it and the fact that i'm not able to notify notice that I'm doing this is definitely not a good sign and if I were more or further into my treatment and better aware of myself and what is going on I would be more likely to be able to pick up on it the interesting thing though that I never realized or understood until recently was just how often this was actually happening I never fully knew, right? Like you're only you're learning slowly and you're getting a better understanding of to what is occurring in your therapy and the work that you're doing, whether it's on your own uh, by yourself or doing it with your therapist is just knowing how deep and how consistent you can be dissociated from your reality and the one of the, the more common signs like I've read earlier for me was the fact that I either don't remember what was being said or like a conversation or I'm not aware of anything else that's going around me. I'm so focused in on what is on the screen or what I'm doing in front of me that most of the outside noises or outside events that are occurring around me are not being noticed. And I'm, you know, I'm basically just in uh, like my own little world, I guess you could call it. It is, it's, there's nothing wrong with associating. Like a, a good practice is that if you, are, you know, if you're doing it too much, then there definitely is a problem and you need to get proper help. If you're not able to notice it, that can be very dangerous, especially if you're driving. It's kind of like daydreaming, but instead of being just caught up in something, you literally are having, like your system is, is having a flashback and instead of noticing and identifying the, the trigger or the part that's being triggered, you're just off in nowhere land or off in daydream you know, being a daydreamer. And if you're doing it most of the time when you're feeling under pressure or you're feeling a trigger or there's a, a trauma-related issue that is occurring or you feel could be occurring and you're dissociating a lot, then that's not a good sign. If you do it on occasion, like if you've had a rough day, let's say you've, you've had a number of triggers that day, and this is this has been something that I've experienced a few times, or well, quite a few times, I should say. So you've had a really bad day. You've had a lot of triggers, and you just 
feel that you're having a hard time coming down and grounding and unblending with your system, then having some time to yourself to zone out or dissociate like with a movie or a book or music or going out and having a walk, there's really nothing wrong with this. It's just doing it in the appropriate amount during the day. Eventually, through therapy and hard work and healing, the minimum, you know, your dissociating will be minimal. You don't really need to do it as often. But like I said, there is no harm in doing it the uh, occasional time when you're just having a really stressful day. All right, everybody, I'm going to have a break now. And when I get back, we will discuss the therapy and ways to help with this sort of problem, okay? All right, everybody, I will be back shortly. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Living with ADHD and CPTSD. Uh, again, I am talking about dissociation when it comes to CPTSD. Okay, so continuing on, um, we're going to talk about therapy for dissociation and how to help when it comes to this issue that occurs. So individual therapy is the most common method of treatment for dissociative issues. People generally dissociate to cope with an experience that is too overwhelming for them to handle in an adaptive way. Thus, therapy for dissociation generally focuses on acknowledging and processing the painful emotions that are being avoided. By changing how a person responds emotionally to a trauma, therapy can help reduce the frequency of dissociative episodes. A therapist may also teach coping skills for use during dissociation. When dissociation causes feelings of suspicion or insecurity, a strong therapeutic relationship can be vital to establishing trust. There are no psychotropic medications designed for dissociation specifically, but a psychiatrist may prescribe a drug to treat co-occurring issues such as anxiety. Treating co-occurring issues can keep a person's other diagnosis from contributing to the dissociation. Type of physiotherapy, sorry, type of psychotherapy may include cognitive behavioral therapy. It's designed to help you see and change the negative thoughts and behaviors. Hypnotherapy. You may find it easier to explore and process your memories when you are in a relaxed state. You should only do this with a professional certified in hypnosis who is trained in dissociative disorders and PTSD or CPTSD. Phasic trauma treatment. This treatment aims to help you stop suicidal thoughts or self-destructive behavior first. Then your psychotherapist will slowly help you process any traumatic memories and reintegrate your identities, if necessary. Family treatment. You may find it helpful to get support from a spouse, partner, or another loved one. Dialectical behavioral therapy. It may help you learn skills to control your emotions and stop harmful behavior. This is a common treatment for borderline personality disorder. And the one that I have experienced, and this is a very common one within therapy for CPTSD, 
is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR. It uses techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy along with visual exercises to help you work through memories of severely troubling events. It may help stop your nightmares, flashbacks, or other CPTSD symptoms. Helping a loved one with dissociation. If you have a loved one who dissociates, you likely know that dissociation is rarely intentional behavior. A person who dissociates may not realize what is happening in the moment. You can support your loved one by creating a grounding plan with them. A grounding plan outlines ahead of time how you will help your loved one break free from a dissociative episode. The first step in a, of a grounding plan is to watch your loved one for signs of dissociation. These could include lapses in conversation, glazed eyes, and so on. When you see these signs, you can use the following grounding techniques to wake them up. All right, get their attention to make eye contact. You may try snapping your fingers or calling their name. Ask your loved one in advance if they are willing to be touched. Give them an object with a strong smell, taste, or texture. Calming scents will likely work better than unpleasant ones. If your loved one was triggered by a certain situation, help them walk to a less stressful location. Even the act of moving their body can help calm them down. Remind the person who they are and where they are. Reassure them they are safe. Ask the person to describe their surroundings. For instance, you could tell them to name five red items in the room. Grounding techniques will likely work better in some form on some forms of dissociation than others. Someone undergoing derealization is likely to benefit more than someone experiencing amnesia. You and your loved one may need to try several strategies out before you find the one that fits. As your loved one becomes more grounded, you may ask them to practice the coping strategies they learned in therapy. For example, you could remind them to repeat a certain mantra out loud. If they cannot remember what exercise they are supposed to do, you can have them repeat a generic affirmation such as, I can get through this. All right, so this sounds pretty much the same as actual grounding techniques when you are triggered. And the reality of it is that they're all related in a couple different ways, of course. Grounding, as I've explained in a number of episodes in the past, is a very helpful and beneficial technique to use if you are triggered and you're having a hard time coming out of that trigger and uh, sorry, and out of the flashback to becoming unblended with your child parts. They're, you know, like the one that I was reading here or that I was discussing when I brought it up was the, the object, like has a strong smell or taste or texture. There is, yeah, there there are a few different ways of doing this sort of thing, um, the object. I remember when I was first dealing with it, my girlfriend would give me a frozen lemon or, well, frozen lime, I suppose. And the idea of it was the texture and the cold feeling on the lime was to help my mind like refocus and to concentrate on the texture and the feeling. And she literally would say, 
it needs to it needs to be in your hand so it literally feels painful or like to the point where your hand is so cold right like it it's it's a very effective uh, method because it does allow you and actually it in a way it forces you to have to think about that lime because you feel the texture it feels cold it feels hard it has that like I, I'm not sure what exactly it feels like, like a leathery feeling or a very, like a, like a, with little dots, like kind of like a golf ball, but smaller, right? So you're feeling this and you're thinking about it. And it does help you to work towards coming out of that, that trigger and becoming grounded. And it allows you to start to unblend from your system and reduce and stop the, the flashback from overtaking your adult self and being able to walk away and do the processing once you're unblended. So that is a very good way of doing this. Now, I suppose the, the nice thing about doing the grounding techniques for dissociating is it's it's like snapping you out of the that mode that your mind is in because it's so overwhelming and the the forcing of you to hear whether it's the snapping on both sides like i'm not sure if you're going to hear this left to right but going like this and then slowing down and then speeding back up again like that it actually it's it's like it's pulling your your hearing and and then then your mind going left to right left to right left to right and it and it actually is f like focusing it's it's allowing you to ground and to come out from the trigger and, or from the dissociating the dissociation that you're occurring that is is occurring in the moment because you're not focusing like i know that like dissociating you can dissociate through a movie but you're not really grounded you're not focusing at all i know it sounds hard to believe but in the, the reality of it is that you actually aren't focusing because if you were focusing then you would be feeling and facing that trauma that flashback that's occurring in real time and the whole point of the of the dissociating is because of the fact that it's too overwhelming. It's too much for you to handle in the moment. So that's why you decide to do that instead. And yeah, all that so all the techniques that they're they're talking about is definitely very helpful and it does work. So I would recommend if you are seeing a therapist, I would definitely recommend discussing the techniques and like the grounding techniques and the other uh, techniques like the EMDR with them and see what they say they probably are going to say that that it's a good idea and then you can get into it at some point when you're when you both feel that you're ready all right so self-help for dissociation if you have dissociation issues you can practice the grounding techniques above that i just talked about to guide you through an episode you can also take preventative steps to manage your condition these include wearing a watch with the time and date on it if you used to if you wish to use your phone make sure you have some way to unlock it write notes to yourself 
These memos could be on a whiteboard, sticky notes, etc. Make sure they are in a visible place rather than hidden in a drawer. Keep a daily journal. Journaling can help you improve overall self-awareness. It may help you fill in memory gaps or recognize patterns of behavior. Make crisis cards to carry around. In an emergency, you may not be able to explain to others what you need. A crisis card lists your name, your address, who to contact for help, and other useful information. You may also wish to create a crisis plan with your friends or family. A written plan can ensure that everyone knows what to do in an emergency. It can also prevent panic in the moment. Although lifestyle changes can help you cope with dissociation, your condition is unlikely, unlikely to improve without treatment. The right therapist can help you reduce symptoms and increase your quality of life. Yeah, that's, that's actually quite interesting. Um, like, the fact that these little help like help tips that you can do are really good. Um, I do have all over my house, I think I've discussed this in a previous episode, but it was probably for ADHD. So if you haven't been listening to my ADHD episodes, then this is the first time you've heard this. I do have sticky notes and reminders all throughout the house. Uh, I have them in the washroom. Um, I've got them in the kitchen. I've got them in the living room. I've got them on tables. I have them at light switches. You know, like it, it's just things to help to keep me like allow, you know, to be aware and to tr like kind of like snap me out of it if I need to, to be snapped out of a, a dissociation. And the, the journal is a good way. Like I do... When I have had a trigger, and I've had quite a few entries in my journal, I just I think about what occurred in the moment, or in that in that time frame since the, when the trigger started, and I write down all the details that I can remember. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, that was sorry that I was inter a brief or sudden interruption there. As I was saying. I write down I write down all the details of the trigger and it does it can take a long time. Usually it does take about 20 to 30 minutes to do a real good thorough um, description in the book and it helps to show me as the adult when I'm unblended what was occurring and the feelings that I was having and the thoughts and the different situations like the the outside uh, events and the and the stuff that was occurring that I wasn't necessarily aware of and it has many many times helped me to see a different side of it but it also like they were saying that you can have memory gaps because of the dissociation and this has helped me fill in the blanks when I don't necessarily remember something that has occurred so it's really good and I I definitely recommend doing the daily journal. It is a definitely a good way of keeping track of everything and helping you when it comes to memory, rem remembering things. The crisis cards, I'm, I don't get triggered too often when I'm around other people, uh, mostly because I, well, I am trying to get out of this, but I'm not a very social person person when it comes to groups or in 
a gathering with strangers. So not often do I get triggered, although there are probably times that I don't even realize that I have had it occur. But it's never been, for me, severe enough where I've had to have a crisis card to carry around because the fact that I'm basically blanked out. I have never had this occur in the the history that I can recall. But it is a good way. It is something that I definitely recommend. If you do have dissociation uh, occurrences where you literally just aren't responsive and you're with your friends or family and there's nothing going on, they are good to have. Um, you could put one in your coat, like where your wallet is. You can put one in your wallet. If you're if you're a lady and you have a purse, you could put one in your purse. Um, that's a good way of doing it. If you don't happen to have a coat or a wallet with you by some chance, then you could put one in your pocket because people who are dealing with something like this, which is severe, are likely going to check a pocket if there's no other identification. Okay, so this is, I have a case example of a dissociation treatment, okay? So I'm just going to read it out and then we'll just have a brief discussion and wrap up this episode. So, dissociation during sexual encounters. Padu's 29 recently ended a relationship with a man because she found herself dissociating during sexual encounters. She is aware that she was sexually abused as a child, but is not sure how to get over it. Pat's therapist helps her identify some of her fears, both rational and irrational along with ways to protect herself. She also refers Pat to a support group where she can talk about her experiences with others who have experienced similar trauma. Meanwhile, in therapy, Pat begins working through feelings of helplessness, rage, and grief. She develops communication skills for use with potential future sexual partners. With the therapist's help, Pat explores possible ways to choose appropriate sexual partners, something that has always been difficult for her. During their sessions, the therapist uses redirection and encouragement to keep Pat fully present, as opposed to dissociating, as they discuss the abuse Pat experienced, which helps Pat learn how to stay present on her own. Yeah, that's that's just one of many different examples, obviously. Um, that's pretty severe, and... CPTSD, of course, does come from that, like sexual being being sexually abused uh, over and over through years uh, as in childhood, is definitely a way that CPTSD gets to be a situation for them. And you have parts that are uh, that are created during that time to help protect you, of course. But a lot of times, the trauma. And the flashbacks that are occurring are so severe and so devastating and so painful that it's just easier for someone who has suffered through that to dissociate and not think about things. But the problem that occurs is that it can be so severe, this dissociation, that it can be harmful and even life-threatening to that individual because it basically makes them unresponsive and if they're driving or they're out walking in the in the neighborhood or down a busy street let's say downtown and you're dissociating you could put yourself in physical physical danger and could be taken advantage of by somebody who you know is just looking for 
an excuse to do something stupid or get in trouble. And it's not safe. So if you do have a history of dissociating and it's severe, I really think the best course of action is to make sure that you are with somebody that you trust who knows what to do when you're out going about doing something, whether it's at a movie or dinner or out for a walk or driving, because being by yourself is really not the safest thing to be doing. You, well, it is extremely dangerous, if it, especially if it's occurring a lot. Therapy is definitely the best way to go about this. I truly do recommend making sure that you discuss and, you know, explore all the areas of this. Like CPTSD is, it can be pretty severe and it causes a lot of complications throughout your life, especially if they're dangerous or, you know, gets in the way of having happiness, you know, having a nice relationship with, with an individual, it can be really difficult to do so because if the trauma is relationship-based, then anytime something occurs, you're going to likely get triggered. And if it's too severe and you dissociate, the person that you're with, if they have no idea that this is a thing with you, could really get overwhelmed and panic because they have no idea what's going on. And in this day and age, with CPTSD being still relatively new and not a lot of information out there, it is not something that everybody's just going to know about. It's not like ADHD where it is widely known and a lot of people are aware of it or other disabilities or other illnesses that occur. CPTSD is still quite new out in the world and the ways of dealing with it are still new. And unless you're upfront and honest with your partner ahead of time saying that you suffer from this and you get dissociated and triggered on occasion, there's no way that they're gonna be able to really assist you. So you definitely have to be honest with your partner, but you need to be able to have somebody around you that can help you in a time of need when you are dissociating and it is in a dangerous or complicated uh, scenario. I wouldn't go without that. That's just being safe and being and being smart. And it's it just ensures that you're going to have a safe time and not have something devastating occur if you are by yourself and you are prone to being dissociated often. Okay, well that's it for this episode of Living with ADHD and CPTSD. I would invite you to go to my website. It is www.livingwithadhdandcptsd.ca. I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, I am looking for topic ideas that I could discuss. And I am always looking for new ways to, you know, tell my audience about CPTSD and the symptoms and, the, and all the different... Um, like triggers and other 
complications that can come up from having CPTSD, definitely give me a shout. Um, I am on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is ADHD and CPTSD. I do have a web page, of course, as I've already said. Um, I'm on Facebook. And like in the past, I am going to be on YouTube soon doing my episodes on video as I do the recording. And I want to have some guests come on to help discuss CPTSD with me and get their side of the story and their experiences. And also maybe a, a professional therapist who can discuss the importances of therapy and what they have witnessed firsthand throughout their years of doing this work. Um, I did mention yesterday in my ADHD podcast, there is a psychologist called Dr. Glenn Doyle, who is located in Chicago, Illinois. He's got a blog, he's got a podcast, and he also has a website, and he is on Twitter. If you go look him up on Twitter, you can follow him. I definitely recommend doing that. He is very helpful, and he could benefit anybody who's in need of any sort of mental help or therapy out there. Just check him out. See what you think. Um, I like him. I think he's a really great guy. I do hope to someday get him on the show as a guest in one of my episodes someday. So, yeah, stay, stay safe out there, guys. You know, I know that CPTSD is, is very painful and frightening, and having a flashback is definitely not something that anybody wants to deal with, but they do occur, and you just have to learn to trust yourself and trust the people in your life and simply do the work and if you continue to process and gain your parts trust then you have a better chance of healing and living a safer more you know neurotypical life all right everybody that's today's episode join me next week for a new episode all right talk to you later bye everyone